Hi everyone, I'm Jason Scorse and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I hope everybody is doing great as we gear up for the beginning of the kind of fall winter holidays here. The topic I'm going to talk about today is Israel-Palestine and um, not super cheery, but you know I've been mulling over whether to do any episode on this at all because like I said I only like doing something if I think I can add some value to the conversation and there's a lot of smart people talking about this, a lot of opinion and so I entitled this episode Some Necessary Truths About the Israel-Palestinian Conflict because I do think that there's a lot of bad reasoning going around, particularly on my side of the political spectrum, on the left, the progressives, the liberals, even if some of it is in good faith, and I do think some of it, not all of it, is in good faith, but I felt that I could offer a perspective on just kind of some baseline facts that are getting lost in the conversations here that could be a benefit to listeners. And so I want to start off by saying that I'm not an expert on the history of Israel-Palestine. I am informed. I've read some books. I've read a lot of articles. I've listened to a lot of discussions. I speak and personally know a lot of people who are experts in the region and who are security experts. So I definitely have an informed opinion but not an expert opinion. Informed, but not expert. So I'm going to keep this episode focused squarely again on just some key factual things that I think we all need to have as our foundation of thinking about this issue, and also some implications of those facts that I think are pretty hard to contest. Um, But obviously, you'll be the judge. I want to start out by saying I have no solutions to offer no prescriptions, and I think the hardest truth right now is that nobody does. This is one of those issues that has been festering, you know, in modern times for 75 years since the establishment of the state of Israel, but obviously a lot of these, the, you know, issues go back hundreds of years and even some case millennia. Even the experts disagree on many key details of the history uh, it's amazing how you can read, uh, you know, something about one, you know, something that happened in one of the wars or something that happens in one of the negotiations, and then you'll literally, you know, an expert, someone with a PhD, really well reasoned, and you'll read something that almost completely contradicts it from someone who's smart and well reasoned. And how is anyone to judge which one is right? Very, very hard, right? Especially since, particularly in some of the more recent negotiations between Israel and Pal- Palestinians. In the last couple decades, a lot of the stuff like these big peace agreements that were about to get, you know, agreed to and then kind of crashed and burned and then led to more violence and terrorism, there a lot of this stuff was done orally. There was nothing written down. We don't have a lot of documents to go, this is what Yasser Arafat could have signed and this is what the Israeli prime minister said he would have signed. 
a lot of it's like, well, they, they wrote it on a napkin or they, they verbally agreed to this and then they said no. And so it's just really, really hard. That's not an excuse to say, well, everything's up for grabs and nothing matters and everyone's right. But this is one of those conflicts that is really, really hard to feel certain about. And so I don't feel certain at all about where it's going. I have absolutely no idea where this thing is going to end up. And I don't think anybody does. That's the key. There's just a huge amount of uncertainty on where this current conflict's going to end up and where an ultimate you know, agreement someday far off in the future is going to end up. Um, and, and also, let me say just for out, outright, I hope obviously something that people don't see, something unexpected on the positive side comes out in the, you know, in the foreseeable future. That would be awesome, right? But anyway, you know, I do think that if we, if we can't arrive at some perfect knowledge, perfect historical understanding, at least we can focus on some necessary truths that will better inform all of us. And I think for U.S. citizens in particular, this is important because we support Israel with military aid and foreign aid and diplomatic aid, and Israel is a close ally of the United States. And it's important for us as citizens to be informed about the actions of our allies and our support of those actions, right? We do have leverage. The United States has a lot of leverage. It's not a you know a coincidence that the agreements that have been negotiated in the past, you know, almost to the last, have had a U.S. president or U.S. negotiators at the center of it because we are a big part of, you know, the Middle East for better and worse in terms of policy. But our leverage also is not infinite. It's not unlimited, right? It's not like President Biden could get on the phone and say, Netanyahu, do this or I'll, or I'll take away this, right? It's like, Israel is a sovereign nation with its own interests, and it's going to act the way it feels that it needs to. Now, whether that's a wise course of action or not is a whole separate issue. And in fact, a lot of Israel's current actions seem pretty unwise. But the point is the U.S. can't control Israel. We have limited leverage, but it's not zero. And that's why U.S. citizens should be well informed. And again, like I said, There are many voices on the left that I think have kind of lost parts of the pig plot, right? And, you know, I'm not exactly sure what's going on, but I want to try to do a, a corrective here. I think many of the voices that are criticizing Israel are doing it in ways that are hypocritical, ahistorical, And also that Israel is being held to a standard that other countries are not held to. And I'm going to come back and revisit that in the antidote. But the first question is, why does the Israel-Palestinian conflict just get so much attention in the first place, right? It's, you know, despite the intense brutality that's going on, the total number of dead in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is relatively minor relative to other conflicts in the region. So since 9-11, since 2001, more than, almost, not more than, almost 1 million people in the Middle East have been killed in armed conflict, whether that's Iraq, Syria, or Yemen. And most of those are, by the way, civilians. 
And only a tiny fraction of those are from Israel and the Palestinian territories. Bashar Assad, you know, the president of Syria, he murdered approximately 500,000 of his own citizens in the most brutal manner, right? And there weren't protests around the world or U.S. college campuses weren't going crazy with, you know, stop, stop the slaughter, Assad, right? The Saudis killed about 100,000 people in Yemen over the last few years. And the same thing, mostly crickets around the world. In fact, if you were to go out and poll most people around the world, I don't even think they'd even know that there was a war going on between Saudi Arabia and Yemen. And they certainly wouldn't know how many people had died. Again, there was mass starvation. There was you know, huge civilian tolls, women and children. So it's the exact same thing going on in Gaza, but at a much higher level. And the world basically shrugged. Right. So what is it about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that gets people's emotions so high, especially, you know, on the left? I think one of the key reasons is that Israel is viewed somewhat inaccurately as a Western country inhabited by wealthy, powerful white people. And the Palestinians are viewed as the weaker group comprised of mostly brown people and so the reflexive reaction on the left is to sympathize with the underdog. And look, I just want to say straight out, I understand this. That's my reflex, my reaction. Anytime I see a conflict between rich white nations and poor brown nations, or in this case, since Palestine's not a nation, poor brown people, my initial knee-jerk reaction is to take the side of the underdog too, Right? But that is why reason and facts need to take precedence over emotion, because although I think, you know, it is no doubt that Israel is a wealthy and powerful country, as a nation of Jews, mostly 20% of Israel is actually of, of Arab ethnicity, but 80% it is a Jewish nation, the Jews have been the underdog throughout most of human history. And I think this is often lost. Right. That's why Israel was established in the first place, to create a refuge for one of the most persecuted minorities in all of world history, Jewish people. And so this is the first corrective that I want to make, is to understand that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict should be viewed as a conflict between two underdog groups, despite the Israelis being a relative global superpower because that is very recent, right? That is a very new phenomenon. And of course, I'm not denying the fact that Israel has more weapons and more wealth and more power than the Palestinians, of course, in the present moment. But I mean, as an ethnic group, looking at it historically, I think the Jewish people should be viewed as an underdog group as well. And once you internalize this fact, it allows you to take a step back and view the conflict with a little less bias, right? Jews have been marginalized, oppressed, massacred, and driven out of their homelands for thousands of years. This fact really hit me that I just learned a few weeks ago. There are less Jews alive today in 2023 than in 1934 before World War II. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. There are less Jews alive today than in 1939. The Holocaust that killed 6 million Jews had, was so devastating to the population of this ethnic group that in almost 80 years, the population is still 
approximately 2 million fewer than there were in 1939. So right now there are around 15 million Jewish people in the world. And in 1939, there were around 17 million. So it is 2 million less than almost 80 years ago. Think about there is basically no other population in the world that has decreased in 80 years like that, right? And then look at the rise of anti-Semitism that we're seeing all around the world, not just in Muslim countries, but in developed nations, in the West, all the way up to the richest man in the world whose anti-social media site is now home to some of the most virulent anti-Semitism in the world. You have advertisers pulling their ads because their ads are coming up alongside Nazi propaganda. In the year 2023, a site owned by the richest man in the world in developed rich societies. So look, also, Israel is home to some of the most sacred religious sites of the three Abrahamic religions. So, of course, that significance elevates the conflict in a lot of people's minds. It's another reason religion is so damaging and poisonous to kind of civic discourse, but that's a topic for another day. But I wanted to start here because once you recognize that Jews, despite their prominence in America and their relative power and strength, in the modern state of Israel, which are both very recent, that they are true underdogs that have been fighting for their survival and basic rights for millennia, it changes your perception of the conflict. So people on the left who want to reflexively root for the underdog, it's not so easy to just root for the Palestinians over the Jews and the Israelis in this case. It is two underdog groups that have been marginalized and oppressed which makes this conflict particularly complex and tricky. This is not in any way to deny the marginalized status of the Palestinian people and their suffering, which is very real. Only to note that both Jews and Palestinians have been historically oppressed and that Israel's power is very recent and should not be taken for granted. And I think the Jewish people do not take it for granted. They realize how precarious and fragile it is. So after the break, I'm going to come back with some more necessary truths to set the context for, I think, critical thinking of this important issue. There's no need to fear. Underdog is here. When criminals in this world appear and bring the laws that they should fear and fight who see or hear the cry goes up both far and near for underdog, 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 speed of lightning, roar of thunder, fighting all who love or plunder, underdog. Okay, so now I wanted to get into some more details here. So first off, for those who haven't been to Israel, I just want to say it is tiny. I went there in 2019. It is 1/18th the size of California. You can drive back and forth across the country in less than one day. And it's entirely surrounded by countries that have either tried to wipe it off the map or are actively trying to do so. So let that sink in for a moment, right? Especially in America, where we have allies on our borders and then are surrounded 
by ocean. We have been a far away from the major conflicts in the world, right? From World War One, World War Two. Israel is tiny, 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 tiny little strip of desert surrounded by nations that have either invaded them and tried to wipe them off the map or are surrounded by, for example, Hezbollah in Lebanon, the Hamas in Gaza, who are explicitly genocidal in their ambitions, whose goal is to eliminate all Jews and wipe Israel out as a state. So just the reason this is important, again, not to justify all of Israeli behavior, but to put yourself in that mindset. Can you imagine what it is to live? It'd be like, it's like if New York City was surrounded by hostile nations on every side who were actively trying to destroy the city for 70 years. Think of what that does, right? You know, and it's populated by people who have been persecuted for millennia, right? So if Israelis are paranoid and, you know, they react strongly to belligerence from their neighbors, they have reason to be, okay? And after Hamas's brutal attack on October 7th, the political leader of Hamas said that they would do it again and again, and that their goal would be to wipe Israel off the map. Right. So the leader of Hamas could have said something like, you know, we did that. We're seeking a political settlement, but we struck back. I mean, it would have been ridiculous and outrageous because what they did had no justification. But he, he could have just shut up. He could have said nothing. He could have even said it was a mistake. We wanted to take out some military. The people got out of hand. He could have said many, many things or said nothing at all. But he said, we intend to do that over and over and over again. And our goal is to wipe out Israel. Okay, And again, this is their goal. Genocide. right? They want to wipe out the Jewish people. They say it. Now, Israel right now is in the midst of killing thousands of Palestinians. Most of them civilians in pursuit of Hamas. But its goal has not and has never been to wipe out the Palestinian people. And the reason we know that is because they could have done it many times over by now. They have the technology, they have the military, they have the might. If their goal was genocide, they could have already done it. And they are also, despite huge numbers of civilian deaths, and again, I don't want to get into justifying anything, but the point is they are still trying to limit those deaths. They're warning people. They're calling people. They're trying to give humanitarian cards. And again, there's all kinds of information about how, how ineffectual those are and the mistakes being made, etc. But they are trying to limit. They're not trying to maximize civilian deaths. Let's just reverse this for a moment. If Hamas had the technology and military might of Israel, they would have already killed all the Jews. That's their stated goal. They would have already done it. Okay? So look, say what you will about Israeli actions, and I think there is plenty to criticize, but don't call it genocide. That's, that is just, just factually wrong. Right? What Israel is doing is, is incredibly violent and incredibly destruction. And you could even say it, you know, it violates some codes and some international law. That's another conversation. But it is not genocide, okay? In addition, 
there is a new decolonization narrative. This has been around a long time, but it's new in the sense that it's gotten new life, right? And everyone's saying, you know, Israel's a colonizing state. We're going to decolonize, you know, uh, um, Palestine. This, too, is nonsense. Yes, the British drew the maps that define Israel. Okay, so those maps were drawn by the British who were a colonial empire at the, you know, on the waning days. But that doesn't make the Zionist project a colonial one. So again, this is where details matter, where you can't just conflate things. Jews have been indigenous to the Middle East and the region of Palestine, Israel, for thousands of years. And virtually all the Arab states had their boundaries drawn by colonial powers, whether it's Iraq, Iran, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, etc. Right? So most countries in the world, the boundaries, the borders were drawn by colonial powers when they when they when they decolonized. Right? That was the whole point. When they went home and they let they said, we well, we're gonna let this be independent. We have to draw the maps to see where it is. Right? That's the way to think of the Israeli maps. It was the it was not a active colonial project, it was as colonial powers retreated, they had to draw maps to kind of create political boundaries. Also, colonizing powers have somewhere to go back to when they leave. Right? This is just basic facts of history. When the British, you know, created, you know, Indian Indian independence, they left and went back to Britain. The Jews have nowhere to go back to. They have literally been expelled from almost every corner of the earth where they once resided, right? So this notion that Israel is some kind of like illegitimate colonial project is just fucking nonsense, right? Again, that, you know, disputing where its borders should be, its treatment of Palestinians is a separate issue. But we need to start with the fact that is the state of Israel is a legitimate state. It is not some illegitimate leftover from the colonial times, right? That is just not a fact. The necessary truth is to start discussing this conflict sensibly, you have to accept the legitimate status of the state of Israel as a state for the Jewish people. If you can't say that, you're not in the conversation in a reasonable way. The final point I want to make in this segment here is that I've been listening to a lot of Palestinian scholars and even some liberal Jews from Israel, right, talk about, you know, their view of Palestinian rights. And a lot of them are very smart, very well-intentioned, and make excellent points, right? I, I, I I'm, want to understand the Palestinian perspective. However, they, many of them sneak in this language that needs to be unpacked again because it's a little duplicitous. What I keep hearing from staunch defenders of the Palestinians is that what they want is simply full equality for Jews and Palestinians, right? And you say, well, who could be against that? Full equality, right? Now, Palestinians are second-class citizens in this land. They're stateless. Who couldn't want full equality. Where that gets tricky is, is what they say is full equality within one state. Okay, This is the little twist of phrase 
where they're masking their true intentions. And you can hear these people on prominent podcasts like Ezra Klein and Chris Hayes, right? So let's let's see what that means. Let's unpack this a little off. Because again, full equality in the land of Palestine for Jews and, and Palestinians. Wow, that's great. But what they are saying is they want one state in which everybody has full rights, which therefore, since Jews would then be in the minority would not be a Jewish state anymore and would essentially be a Palestinian majority state with Jews in the minority, right? What that presages, what that hints at is basically, unless you're you know, adhering to some kind of utopia or nirvana, that is a recipe for either the genocide of the Jews or endless civil war. Because this notion that we could take this history, where the Jews have been tried, they've been, you know, countries have tried to wipe them out off the map for 70 years, and now we're going to basically give up their state and absorb them into a larger Palestinian state in which they're the minority and everything's going to be peaceful with full equality. I mean, that is just fucking ludicrous. That is nonsensical. And why would the Jews in Israel voluntarily? enter a state in which they would be the minority and the majority would be people who not every last one of them, but large numbers and perhaps majorities have been harboring genocidal fantasies about them for decades, right? Makes no sense, right? Most states in the world are ethno-nationalists. Look at Japan or Korea, right? Or Nigeria or Brazil, right? We in the U.S., We're in a multicultural democracy, and that's being challenged by our own fascists, but we're the exception, right? You know, Joe Biden says U.S. is an idea, right? The right wing in America says, no, if you're not a white Christian, you're not a real American, right? They want an ethno-nationalist, and they want everyone else who's not white Christian is an outsider, a vermin, right? But we're the exception. Most nation states, look at Japan. Japan is for the Japanese people, right? And they have very strict immigration. They don't, they would never, Japan would never say, we're going to merge into China and we'll just be equal in China and the Japanese will be the minority in a Chinese state, right? Japan wants their own nation, right? Korea wants their own nation, right? Guatemala wants its own nation, right? These are ethnic nationalist states. And that's what Israel is, right? The world is mostly comprised of ethno-nationalist states, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Somehow people think, oh, it's Jewish, it's a theocracy, everything. Look, most Israeli Jews are secular. The right-wing extremists in Israel are fucking nut jobs, and they're as bad as the jihadists, but that's a small minority. Most of Israeli is secular. It's, a, it's an ethnic identification, not a religious one, right? So that's the way to view Israel. Right, And again, the notion that Israel would cede its ethnic national identity and join into a nation with an opposing national identity that has wanted to wipe them out is madness. And yet these very smart Palestinian scholars and even some Israelis just talk about it, and they but they never kind of go to the full conclusion of what they're saying. So look, I'm not saying that Palestinians and Israelis will never get along. But a one-state solution is a means to another genocide of the Jews, 
or endless civil war. It's simply not going to happen. And the people who talk about one region with full equality from the river to the sea need to be much more explicit about what they're advocating. Because what they're advocating for is the end of the Israeli Jewish state. That's what they're advocating for. They couch it in flowery rhetoric of equality and human rights, but that's not what they're advocating for. And I find it very cowardly, actually, that they mask their project in this flowery, flowery rhetoric, right? It's nothing wrong. If you want to say, hey, as a Palestinian, I believe there should be one state and Jews should be in the minority, and I promise that we'll protect their minority rights, you know, make your case. But don't bullshit. Don't couch it in some euphemism, right? Now, before getting to the antidote, I haven't said much about the current conflict because I don't have the military training or knowledge of the Israeli goals to provide much value added there. I'm just trying to provide some larger context to just think clearly about the issue. Obviously, Gaza is facing a humanitarian crisis, and a lot of what Israel is doing is incredibly heavy-handed and perhaps unwise, immoral, and even contrary to their own interests. I acknowledge that. But I don't think we'll fully be able to assess that for a while. I think people were just saying, you know, Israel's doing this horrible stuff all of a sudden. The dead Palestinians is horrible. But we got to see where this ends up, right, to really be able to assess it. I know that sounds like I'm being cavalier about all this death, but I'm not, right? And you'll, you'll, you'll note that in a moment. I'm not trying to dodge the, 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 the real suffering that's going on. But that's my honest assessment, is that we won't be able to really judge the Israeli response until we see how this plays out. To me, a Palestinian civilian death is equal to me morally as a civilian death of any people, Jews or otherwise. But Hamas is the group that is ultimately responsible. They are the one that went in and did the biggest massacre of Jews since World War II and literally celebrated the murder and torture of innocent women and children and gloated about it in, in profane videos. They're the ones who embed under hospitals and schools in civilian populations and literally are trying to maximize the number of their dead to get international condemnation, right? So as I will lay out in the antidote, no country would act restrained after the massacre Hamas perpetrated. And so I'll come back with the antidote right after the break. In these last days, lend ears to what I say. Planet is a current state. Signed and sealed is our faith. Doctrines are the falling angel. No water. Quench eternal flames of hell. Hellfire. I said doctrines are Okay, so to wrap up with the antidote here, what I want to leave you with is that after digesting the context I've laid out, which again I think is pretty incontestable. I, I mean, obviously you could agree disagree with some things on the margin, but I think what I've laid out is just historically factually true. Is that once you acknowledge that, 
that any nation that underwent what Israel just did on October 7 would react with extreme violence to destroy the perpetrators, it puts things in the context that is the right context to analyze this conflict. It's grisly, it's horrible, but it's reality. This is not to justify every one of Israel's actions, but to say that it is hypocritical of us to expect any eight nation to act much differently. After 9-11, which was much less destructive to the U.S. proportionally than what Israel just suffered at the hands of Hamas, that was perpetuated by a loose-knit enemy halfway across the world, we, the U.S., invaded two countries, killed hundreds of thousands of people, most of them innocent, and unleashed waves of jihadist violence that killed hundreds of thousands more. If a nation that bordered America did what Hamas did, we would wipe them off the map without blinking. We would scoff at anyone who lectured us about proportionality and human rights. We would go utterly ballistic with extreme violence. And look at how other nations react when they face existential threat. They act with extreme violence too. So condemning Israel for acting the way that we have already acted ourselves and others do routinely is simply holding Israel to a double standard and I think it's rank hypocrisy. I remember the bloodlust that even many of my friends exhibited after 9-11 and I remember then that I knew it was going to lead to bad places. Right? Humans are a violent and basically unethical species. Most human interactions are hierarchical and unjust. We as a species can and must do better. But we're not going to do better by starting, but we're not going to do better by holding others to standards that we don't apply to ourselves. So I'm asking all of us to look inward a little, to say if Mexico or Canada came across the border and massacred our women and children and tortured them and posted them videos, you think we would be restrained? You think so? Let that sink in, right? And if there is any people on the planet who have a right to worry about genocide, it's the Jews. This is not to say, don't criticize Israel. Israelis are Jews. This is not to say not to advocate for peace and humanitarian assistance. But don't hold Israel to standards that we blatantly reject for ourselves. What Israel deserves the most criticism for is keeping Netanyahu in power for so long. He is a true monster who has done more harm to Israel and the Palestinians than almost anyone in Israel's history. I hope to live to see a day when the Palestinians have their own state and a prosperous one that doesn't want to war with the Jews of Israel but to trade with them and have positive relations. But there is no nation on earth that would tolerate a threat like Hamas on its border and not enact intense retribution. It doesn't make it right or just, but that's the reality we live in. And reality is the starting point for understanding our world and trying to build a better one. So with that, everybody, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Please share it with family, friends, and colleagues. Subscribe on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music. Rate it. Share it. And uh, I hope you all have a great holiday weekend that is free of the chaos of the world and filled with your loved ones and cheer and merriment and health. Take care. Be well.